This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Repeat, this is a test of the emergency podcast system. Disaster Girls is an unironic excavation of disaster movies with profiles as high as the tallest volcano and as low as the Marianas Trench. In order to ensure your safety and enjoyment, please remain calm and keep your ears locked on your hosts, myself, Jordan Gershiola, and me, Amanda Smith. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Disaster Girls podcast. It is I, your co-host, Jordan Cruciola. And it's me, Amanda Smith. And uh, as we do when we have the exciting news of a guest on hand, there's no need to keep that guest waiting. So please, guest, if you would introduce yourself to the folks at home. It's a special day. Hi, I am Sophia Benoit. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah. On this, is it, do they call it an auspicious day? What is an auspicious day? What does that mean? Auspicious is lucky. Inauspicious is not so lucky. So it could, like, it's, today is both for the movie that we're happening. Our fortune and our burden to, to discuss this movie that you brought for us today, Sophia. Yes. I think auspicious. What are we talking about? Yeah, we're talking about, no, I just was going to say, I think Auspicious is a little generous to this film, but not to this (laughs) podcast. Um, This, the film is The Happening. The fucking happening, man. The Happening. The Happening. So you watched it the other week. Why did you decide to watch this movie? Oh, was this a first watch? Was this a first watch was the recent watch? This was my first time seeing it ever. I, um. Okay. I have. I have a boyfriend who works for Netflix and he watches movies all day. It's his job. Like legit his job. It's mm-hmm. fake. We all, are, mm-hmm. it's like probably fake. Um, <laughs> and if, if you were Italian, you'd be like, you're in the mob and we get it. Um, yeah. <laughs> but he, so he watches movies all day and he loves bad movies and he's like so into bad movies and he puts them on all the time. So the okay. other day we had friend, like a friend over, um, I was going to pretend like we had more. Um, <laughs> we had a friend over and he was like, I'm going to put on a bad movie and we can all talk over it because he's that kind of person. So he just chose The Happening and it starts and immediately I'm captivated by just how bad it is. Immediately, I was like, this is a different mm-hmm. level. This isn't mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. like Paul Blart Mall Cop, which is actually mm-hmm. like bizarrely okay, not even as bad <laughs> as this, you know? So it was captivating and I couldn't look away and it turned into kind of a journey for me personally. <laughs> Sure. There's no way to prepare for this movie. None. There, there's no, no, none. There, it, it's not because it's so high concept. It's not because it's like so dense or genius or something. It's the the way that it is presented, the the choices. I think that the thing that really like upon watching, having watched it multiple times now, it is like this. There's so much intentionality to what's happening here. And yet, the total of those intentions, those decisions, not these accidents, it's fucking terrible. And I think is- watching it is so disorienting because it's not like, it doesn't feel like M. Night Shyamalan <laughs> fucked this up. It doesn't feel like it got taken out of his hands and Frankenstein back together by his studio. It's like, no, this feels like a pure, concentrated M. Night Shyamalan movie. What the fuck's going on here? There's no, I've never seen a movie. Every five seconds, I kept saying, because I also, so I also went to film school. My boyfriend went to film school. We are the most annoying people you've ever seen to watch a movie with. Okay. Like, do not ever watch a film with us. I cannot <laughs> recommend anything less. Like, <laughs> we're the worst. So the entire time I just kept turning to him and being like, I've never seen a film with less internal consistency. Like, mm-hmm. within the rules they set up, mm-hmm. 
in one scene, then the next scene they're like, which is key actually, to our agenda here on disaster. And it's not, yeah, and they don't find out new information. It's not like, oh, we thought it worked this way, but no, it doesn't. No. It's like the wind causes this, and then the next scene they're just like in a scene with wind, and they're like, it's fine. Yeah. It's like totally. Yeah, chill. it's okay to be near certain wind, but not other wind, and you can outrun said wind. And yes, but some can, trees are yeah. And if you're inside, it's okay. But if uh, you're inside in other places, it's not okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And nothing about like gaps in windows and doors because like old drafty houses are constantly letting air right. in. Right. There, like, there's what? like this. Is, there's this like kind of taken on. Like the, at one point, there th- there's a scene in a car with John Leguizamo's character, and he noted like they they're like close the windows, close the windows because they're like worried at that point it's like a chemical terror attack. They don't know yet that it is simply the wind. So either way, in the air, bad. But they like they close, they just close the little the little flaps on the air vents in the car because those are weather sealed. And then they like they close the windows, and then he just keeps ominously looking at this one tear in the soft top of this jeep in the fabric of the of the roof. And it's like nothing about this car is sealed, though. Like that's not yeah, no. that's not the game changer. Mm-hmm. It's that no, you're in no. a car. Like there you're, is vents and fans. Like that doesn't fucking matter. You are in a soft top Jeep. Yeah. Like, do you believe yeah. that like you aren't having air come in? Yeah, it's not this one right. inch air cut. can't pass through fabric. You guys, yeah, don't you know this? It's air not is, this it's, it's one literally inch cut airtight. in the fabric. It's it's mm-hmm. it's, it's it's everything around you. And it's also yeah, so no if. if I was just saying, like, the idea that they're in a van or in a truck, and then if you seal that up, like, okay, so is the idea that then if they all breathe the air too much that they'll all die anyway? They're acting like they're stuck inside of an elevator is how airtight they are. When in fact, no, they're just in a truck. Also, what's the plan in a car to know when you're no longer in a situation, in like a place where the air is poison? Like... Do you just drive until you run out of gas and hope that, like... <laughs> you made it far enough? You made it far enough? Like, it, the entire situation, that is that was stressful. And Also, not, how many like, particulates are in the air? Like, are the trees... The trees aren't continuously emitting it. So, theoretically, no, it's, it's after not, the event it's occurs... Not, it's not constant. It is deployed. Right. In certain... It is deployed. When, so, therefore... When the plants decide. When they're angry, right. specifically. Yes, when the plans but are But we angry. also find out that it's happening cyclically because they, like, show us a little chart that shows the events are happening with increasing frequency. But also it's happening when there's too many people. There's a lot of different situations where it could be happening, potentially. It's and weird how, again, it's... It's weird how they make that graph of, like, okay, these things yeah. are happening in increasing frequency, but then they predict it. They, they, mm-hmm. they manage to form a predictive model for this thing that's existed for, like, 12 hours. Where they're yeah. like, well, this is clearly how it's going. And so this is definitely how it's going to end. Um, and we probably won't realize it until it's just, like, over. And it's like, well, how, wait, how, do you, how did you guess that? Also, like, who's making the graphs? Everyone's dying. Like, yeah, where, <laughs> like, sorry, but uh, who's, like, going to these dead-ass towns and being like, these, this is how many people died. This is what happened, how quickly. Like, right. this is the most fake graph I've ever seen. This is me <laughs> turning in my homework senior year of, like high school being like, I turned in a graph to you and I don't know. <laughs> no. You know that graph 100% was something that that whole scene <clears throat> with exposition was added after the fact because someone watched that, watched the clip, the cut of it and was like, wait, why is Mark Wahlberg and Zoe, why are they okay outside? I know. How I are think we that's supposed wrong. to know as an audience? I don't think at all. I, I don't think, absolutely. No, I, I think don't this think movie that is, was. This movie is such a weird 
fucking assemblage of things. I think somebody was just like, well, we have this news guy thing recurring on the TV. And well, we should probably have, we should probably have data. Like they, they I, like, and the way they, like, I, I don't for a second believe that anybody watched this after the fact and thought they needed anything extra to make sense of it. I absolutely do because that completely undercuts the entire tension of the scene between of the two of them going outside. Every other decision cuts the tension of everything, this Everything, I know. Everything. Every decision yeah, cuts the tension of the this The fact movie. that Zoe Deschanel is acting in an entirely different film undercuts the tension of this movie. Every, oh my God, my boyfriend and I talked about this because every single, every single person was in a different yeah. movie. And They're they all in different didn't movies. didn't know. And every person makes decisions as if the thing that is happening is different than what's happening to everyone else as well. Yeah. I mean, you can just start with the fact that they like open the movie on we've got <laughs> on Mark Wahlberg being a science teacher, which yeah. is like insane. And then he has a quote by Albert Einstein yeah. written up on the blackboard that says attributed mm-hmm. to Albert Einstein. Insane. <laughs> then, he's, then he like disrupts his high school, middle school. I think it's like middle school science class to be like, do you guys know the bees are dying like downer? Yeah. What are they going to do about it? They're like <laughs> yeah. in fucking Massachusetts or some shit. Philadelphia. Always Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. I forgot. He's usually a Boston guy, but you're right. This is Philly because it's uh, M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, which I love Philly, but what is happening? So you're in Philly and you're a science teacher. Mm-hmm. And for no offense to Philly, I love them. I'm a massive 76ers fan. <laughs> but that's not where I'd be like, this is the bedrock of the mind of our nation. I wouldn't go there first. <laughs> and definitely not middle school science teachers. So he's giving this lecture on like bees. And then the answer to the first scene, which is like the point of the movie, spoiler, but... Mm-hmm. He just has these kids find out that, like, maybe science doesn't ever give us any yeah. answers and there's no way for us to know yeah. anything, yeah. which is not true. Maybe the answer is some things are no. never explained. Thank you. No. I, that was when I, I – last night as I was watching, I, it was at nine minutes in and I got up and had to, like, take a ten-minute break because I was so mad because of the exact quote is, I mean, science will come up with some reason to put in the books, but in the end, it'll be just a theory. I mean, we will fail to acknowledge that there are forces at work beyond mm-hmm. our understanding, mm-hmm. which – is, One, is a theology you. when you say class, just which is a religious yeah, that's a theology. That, yeah, just a theory is never a thing a scientist would ever say <laughs> yeah. because a theory is when it has actually been proven to the pe- point where we're like we have not found a single instance. We have tested it so many times right. we have not found a single instance where this is disproven. Right, you have to prove Therefore, a theory. A theory isn't something yeah, that a theory is, not is tested. A theory is something yeah. you have tested. But also the idea that we don't a have hypothesis, bees, right? Like you start with a hypothesis, a hypothesis and yes. then you go and to then a theory. Yeah, and then if if you're good, if it's at a point where it's like, hey, the theory is, is right. has proven the hy- hypothesis, and then if you get far enough along that there's like, we have not found a single fucking instance, this is true all the time, then it becomes a law. Right. But the idea but that, that it's that, just have, a theory. Yeah. Like, literally, gravity is a theory. This guy is, like, yeah, right. operating in this world where, like, yeah. women get, not just women, people getting pregnant to him is a theory. He's like, <laughs> yeah. I don't understand it, and science doesn't know. This yeah. man is losing his mind every time anything occurs. Like, anything. literally, the, sh- the, the water from his shower is falling down, and he's like, science can make up a reason in a book, <laughs> but we do not know. Like, my dude, no. We know. We have answers. You're a science teacher. How did you get here? The entire point of science is that, yeah, we're going to – we are trying to get to the point where we acknowledge and can understand forces beyond our understanding. Like, that's the whole thing. That's that's the whole thing. And even when you're a scientist, like, you know that there are things beyond our own understanding. But if we can solve why it's happening, then there isn't a thing that's beyond our understanding anymore. If the bees are disappearing and we can figure out – where the bee bodies went, because the bees, like, the bees bee talk bodies. about how the bees haven't just died, they've, uh-huh. like, disappeared. Yeah. Like, like they've, they've been raptured. Bee, bee raptured. Bee that raptured. was exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah, there was a bee rapture. <laughs> if we can accurately, if we can say why that happened, then that isn't a force beyond our understanding. That is quite literally within our understanding, Mark Wahlberg. And also, you don't have to bully the one kid about it either. He like fully bullies the attractive boy Wait, in the he process. To fuck that kid, and that was <laughs> yeah. another really disturbing part of the film to me. Is it starts with him having sexual tension with the popular boy? In yeah, him nagging a class. child and it flirtatiously yeah, nagging a boy. Not Taylor Lautner. Yeah. It was so uncomfortable to watch. That was horrific. And then. It also, anytime he's on screen, all I can think about is how all of his acting is through his nostrils. Like, yes. you know how Keira Knightley is like lowered. Well, in particularly like, in this movie. Yeah. Keira Knightley is like, Keira Knightley's t- power comes from her jaw. And she does a great job. And that's not a criticism. I love Keira Knightley. No. But like, no. His nostrils are carrying this film. They put this film on its their back and they said we're gonna carry you <laughs> because we're gonna shoot mark Wahlberg from and and it's gonna be our thing we're gonna shoot people from straight on in this movie and we're gonna mm. have him like the thing that where this movie really like had me like almost just like really as as former guest ali really fried my legs when this <laughs> the acting in this movie is so catastrophic but it is not because of the actors themselves like i'm not saying mark Wahlberg's gonna like but mark Wahlberg in mark Wahlberg movies does a perfectly jo- good job at mark Wahlberg things zoe deschanel she's some people think she's some people's not but she doesn't show up and you're like what the fuck did this person just wandering off the street doing like they the like intentional direction that m night Shyamalan seems to give them to be constantly the most annoying obtuse people imaginable is fucking crazy like the reality index really starts fracturing for me at the simple behavior of these people that whole that whole scene in the field where everybody's like what's going on mark Wahlberg? what's going on mark Wahlberg?" is like first of all mark Wahlberg has done nothing to demonstrate that any of you people would have this much confidence in him right now and watching him stand there being like come on douchebag be a scientist form a theory form a hypothesis make an experiment i was like what is this what is this? Mark Wahlberg can't do more with this. And Zoe Deschanel was like, come on, honey, what's wrong? What's wrong? I was like, everyone is the most annoying fucking person in the world in this movie. And I hope the wind takes every one of them. One plot line of this movie that I think is spectacular and I have no notes for is that, <laughs> uh, is that Zoe Deschanel uh, has a massive amount of tension at the beginning of the movie with her husband, which yes. we don't need it for any reason any at all. There's reason. no reason for it. It's never justified. No. I mean, it's kind of no. at the end, but not even. Um, but it's over her kind of like guilt at the fact that she went to get tiramisu with another man. Yeah. Yes. Like she had dessert. She had a, she had a dessert date. Tiramisu. We tiramisu. ate tiramisu together. Yeah. That is it. That When we get that exposition, we ate tiramisu together. That is it. And she says it to him on the, the phone. She says it? In a scent. It's, yeah. oh my God. And also she pronounces it really weirdly, I feel like, but she's, like guilt ridden about this and wants to end her marriage but now there's like a terrorist attack and she can't but she still brings it up she's like she's just a character that exists in like these non sequiturs like that moment where John was almost like holding his daughter in the train station and like the little girl's scared and he's like ah she just doesn't do great without her mom around and like she only whispers to him because she's feeling like really scared and really shy and Jess walks up to her and starts like you know Zoe Deschanel like rubs her back and she's like oh Jess we're so we're so the same I don't like sharing my feelings either. I was like, what is this? 
what are you t- also she yeah. shares her feelings the entire rest the entire, of the movie and never shuts the fuck up the entire movie like <laughs> Zoe, it's, so it's a weird line to give Zoe Deschanel whose entire thing is showing emotions directly through her giant eye eye eyes like she has the world's largest eyes outside of a Madagascar lemur and yet and all she does is show emotion through them and yet well, somehow and- she is supposed to be this like stoic never shows her emotions character? Absolutely the fuck not. She is nothing Mark but Wahlberg's twitchy. Character, her and Mark Wahlberg's character are, are only expressions of emotion throughout this entire movie. Like, there's no thought mm-hmm. that goes into anything. You're just emoting. Yeah. Annoyed, like, and the way that he says every line is like the exact recreation of the SNL speed, of the SNL skit that's like, hey donkey, how you doing? Say hi to your mother for me. Like, every line he <laughs> says that, is yes. a caricature yeah. of Mark Wahlberg. Also, what like that? So, so we actually did have somebody who specifically, when I was tweeting about the happening, God, I wish I could, I should have pulled this up sooner. Who specifically said I when I the, I watched the Mark Wahlberg sketch right before watching this movie, and I couldn't process this, especially when it came to the moment where he was talking to the fake plant, and I thought that that meant that he was talking to the fake plant in the sketch, and then no, minutes no. later, no, no. Mark no, Wahlberg yeah. started talking to a fake plant in this film. Well, I have to say, of the two of them, though, like, I feel like I watched that movie and at the end I was almost, like, I might become misogynistic because this character is so awful. She was so grating and they wrote her. I mean, it's not her. It's not. It's like, um, like, someone wrote, like, a sitcom wife to the worst degree. Like, the worst degree. Yes. She has no nice moments, no like smart moments she every single second is like what's happening and then constant whining constant whining is she she like won't get on a train at the same time as her husband during a terrorist attack like (laughs) sorry but i literally do not care if you went down on someone else that morning (laughs) we're in a terrorist attack i need you to grow up right the common common line at that point we're not doing yeah presumed terror attack like, literally, 9-11's happening and you want to do couples therapy in Union Station? Bitch, yeah. no. Get on the train with me. You have to. Yeah. We're not doing yeah. this. And, like, no. Also, who fucking wears a halter dress to the apocalypse? <laughs> like, she knows at that point. She has packed a bag. She knows she's evacuating. And she has opted for a J. Crew bridesmaid halter dress. Like, I am sorry. You know, we go back to the to Angelina Jolie wearing a white lacy bra in um, oh, Those wow, Who Wish yeah. Me Dead. No, I'm sorry. If there's an apocalypse, I am wearing my most supportive undergarments for this. I am not going backless. Like if I think who, there's a terrorist attack, I no. And uh, I just I want to be able to flee. The, That's my point. Oh yeah, sports bra all the way. Like maybe double. Like we're <laughs> we're running. Yeah. Also, you know who packs the most insane <clears throat> shit? Uh, it would be Mark Wahlberg this time who packs a nude yes. ring. <laughs> this is what originally yes, set me off the, in this movie. Check the mood ring. <laughs> It is the most times in a movie a mood ring has ever been mentioned. <laughs> ever, ever. Mm-hmm. And let alone during the climax of a film. But um, yeah. did M. Night Shyamalan just like find out about mood rings like literally five minutes <laughs> before morning. he wrote this movie? And he was like, these are so cool. I can't believe these are real. And then he wrote an entire movie about it. A mood and ring. Also, literally. Yeah, a fucking mood. By the way, to again, a science teacher who believes that humans give off energy and talks about auras to a nine-year-old fucking auras the science teacher is talking about goddamn auras and then they're talking about being about how the moon read can show that they're horny in front of the nine-year-old which was weird in of itself but yeah what that the was fuck so man weird. that was so weird <laughs> and he wears it the weirdest thing is that they chose to put it on his dominant hand 
So that every time he was holding anything throughout the film, mm-hmm. you just see Mark Wahlberg wearing this gaudy ass tacky well, ring. Well, I mean, you don't put a just mood on ring like pinky. that in a movie to put it on the hand you don't see. I mean, that like you put that's a that's a centerpiece <laughs> of this film. You know how New York is a character in some films? Yeah. The mood ring was a character in this film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's for me. The mood ring was the most consistent actor in this film. Yeah. Yes. Do you guys think about the fact that like Mark Wahlberg had to be fitted for a ring? They had to fit him for this costume. I. That but then other people wore it too. They, like, like the tried- little girl wears it and stuff. So like they like also didn't <laughs> mm-hmm. make it so big that it like they probably had multiple ones that didn't look as ridiculous on the other people. Yeah. <laughs> Sisterhood of the traveling. Sisterhood of the traveling mood ring. Mood ring. Yeah. Well, it just yeah. and for anybody at home who don't who doesn't know what this movie's about, um, as far as just the Neither plot goes, we. it's just. One day, of an event starts happening, and people start killing themselves. And yeah. then somehow- Which we need to throw a spoiler warning at the top of this episode, I feel like, because this movie sure as shit surprised me when I found that out, because I thought oh. the air was just going to be poison. No, yeah, no. Did not realize. Well, that's did not a- realize it was going to feature increasingly absurd suicide attempts. Well, and that's a, I mean, that's, and that's a, that's one of the most challenging things about, it's a very M. Night Shyamalan signature for him to have this kind of almost hokey- style of presentation like it it not and even in i like the movie signs it's a fun movie but it still has this hokiness to it this kind of corniness that that feels like Mm -hmm. it it feels like it's such intentional sincerity and cheese that it's it's something that seems like important to him to convey in his work and yet he makes things that are at times extremely violent and one thing m night Shyamalan is always going to do is put children in in harm's way so like you have these (laughs) movies that like you you have kind of intense violence that doesn't fit the tone of kind of almost anything else happening around it. This almost like incredibly sincere, hokey style of dialogue and, and acting that he coaches out of people. And so it's a cacophony of things. And then you throw into that with like, you yes. know, the storytelling penchant with like throw in a twist and like, you know, everything is nothing and whatever he's up to out there. But like, it's, it is so hard to reconcile the in multiple elements of an M. Night Shyamalan movie into one cohesive package sometime. And I think The Happening is the peak example of being unable to recognize all of his favorite things to do in movies and having it just be a fucking mess. Because the horror scenes in this movie work. The deaths are nightmares. They are scary. They are stark. They, like, keep happening. It's not just, like, there's the scene where you have the brutal deaths at the beginning with, like, the construction workers. They keep, like, being awful and just directly to camera yeah. and the lawnmower. The lawnmower. Like, he always Counter- sticks I see, something I was going to say, longer. Jordan, the counterpoint is, is that the lawnmower, nope, the lawnmower and the lion deaths are two moments where I was like, well, that's absurd. Like, watching I mean, the man be ripped by lions, no ripped apart by lions, it, that was... I'm not bizarre. Su- no, but it's like when you're talking about I horrifying. didn't say they were bizarre. I didn't there say they were absurd. Su- yeah. I'm saying they're super fucking intense in a way that stands in such yeah, in they a way are, that it's committed horror, a committed director to a the spectacle of terror and sort of in some ways the pornography of violence. And yet in a movie where you're gonna have Zoe Deschanel making her sad concern face the entire time and having Mark Wahlberg talk it like was- he's like a needy eight-year-old boy. It's like if you made Quentin Tarantino direct, like, um, <laughs> Fun with Dick and Jane with, yeah. like, Jim Carrey. Like, yeah. it's bizarre. You are completely it's- correct. It is, like, there's no, 
it, the, the mo- cacophony was the most perfect word for that because every single scene has four tones yes. per scene. Per scene. And, yes. Per scene. And they the, the scenes start and end at weird times. And <laughs> none of the characters seem to react to the fact that, like you said, like kids are dying around them. Not just like, okay, yeah. already horrific. The construction worker scene especially. I feel like Jesus. especially very like reminiscent the construction of 9-11. Worker scene is like, brutal. Brutal. Yeah. And like, that one's awful. Even the driving the tr- car into the tree because the passengers know it's coming, which is awful. Like, there's some really horrific things. And yeah, no one reacts yeah, to they, them. They, before that, when they drive through the hanging forest, oh, that, that is awful. the hanging forest. Awful. That was horrific. Like, ever, I mean, but, but you're matching this with scenes uh-huh. where like an entire five minutes goes by outside of a diner where they need to leave really quickly. And John Leguizamo yeah. won't leave, but is leaving his kid with his friend who sucks and his friend's wife who sucks even more. Yeah, and who he and doesn't even fighting. like. And he's like, I got to go check and see if your mom is dead. And in the process, I might die. And he's like, planning to abandon and orphan his yeah, daughter. he's planning like, to planning. orphan his child. He's yeah. like, knowing that it's in the knowings. car. Knowing, yeah, not even like eh, maybe I die too. Not I, and also like, what are you gonna do if your wife is dead or is alive? What are you gonna fucking do? Yeah, like you can't even reach her on a cell phone. Like, grow up. She you told to you, up. and she also told you to get on the train and take your daughter and go, and presumably to get her yeah. to safety. I like, don't think implicit in those directions from your wife was, and make sure you abandon her at a with certain Mark point. Wahlberg. With Mark Wahlberg yeah. and the woman, none of us like. Like, what how bad is that? Yeah, like, what is your kid's vibe level that is so bad that you're like, I will fucking do anything to get away from you. I will literally do anything. I hope your mom's dead because that's where I want to be, too. Like, that's awful. That man, he, he peaced no, he out of his daughter's life. He yeah. peaced out. And, and his daughter's watching... But not before dropping an important bit of information that that daughter will carry with her for the rest of her life, which is that her her mother was buying a dollhouse for Jess, and that's why she missed the train. So make sure that the child knows that the reason that mom isn't with them and that dad Mm -hmm. had to go look for her separately, make sure that that daughter knows that it's because of a present that mom was going to buy for her. That's not going to scar your child for life. No one. If my friend gave me their kid, I'd be like, first of all, you're being a piece of shit right now. Why do you say that about Mm -hmm. your dead wife we all know she's dead <laughs> oh, like, no. and then later like kids that are not even characters that have been with mark Wahlberg. i'm spoiling mm-hmm. everything i'm sorry oh, but yeah, no you were, that's kids what we're that are for kids that are like with mark Wahlberg and zoe deschanel that serve no functional story purpose at all mm-hmm. we don't care about them we don't know about them we don't hear anything about their lives and they're teenagers so we should care extremely about them like yeah. they're young kids mm-hmm. maybe not even teenagers they're kids then they die, and then Mark like, Wahlberg horrifically, and, like, horrifically. We yeah. see violent. Gu- Nobody else. We don't see anybody else killing another person in this movie. It's all yeah. self-administered. The only people we see die via murder are children, and no one yeah, cares. They, they take full. No yeah. one cares. It's not even a it blip on Mark and Zoe's radar. They're like, <laughs> kids died Tuesdays, am I right? Like, what? <laughs> Girl. For the constant state of panic that that Mark and Zoe are in in this movie, 
it is a din of panic that exists at like this middle register. It's like a mid-Atlantic accent. It's just in the same zone the entire time. It doesn't go up higher or lower than its specified framework, no matter how horrific things get. So like it just starts at a certain level of their disarray and we never go higher than that. But it manages to be so annoying the entire time. You're like, why are you being so annoying? But why are you dis? Why are you not reacting to anything in this situation in accordance with how you should? But they also the same like that exact same flat line of like annoyance and yes. of their like everything that everything about them. Everything about them. their confusion stays at the same level the exactly. whole time. Exactly. Exactly. They do not learn anything or gain any more information. And even when they do gain more information, they become more confused and they like <laughs> stay <laughs> like they're like what <laughs> ah? and then they learn an in- information they're like but that can't be meanwhile they've been preaching to us that like science is unexplainable uh, yeah th- th- mm-hmm. th- it is in fact it's a pa- it's a hobby really it- as opposed to like an explanation for the natural world it's, a- it's more of a hobby <laughs> Their, their energy level the entire movie is basically at the same level of at the beginning of Home Alone when the family accidentally leaves Kevin behind. <laughs> like they have the same energy through this whole film of a family trying to get to the airport, but they're running late. And that is it. Like there is never a, except for maybe at the end when Mark Wahlberg begrudgingly accepts that he's going to die and he doesn't want to die without being held by Zoe, which is really served as a sad resignation versus being any level of panic. Right. But everything else, he's mostly just like high key concerned and never truly terrified. Yes. And, and at every turn, the, mm-hmm. it, it is such a, it's such a fascinating for, for a director specifically who makes children the center of his story so often mm-hmm. with, with something like glass, with something like un, unbreakable. The child is very central to that. Like he, he puts kid it, with signs. Like this is a common feature, sixth sense of M. Night Shyamalan's work. In this movie, there are children ever present, but they, nobody calibrates based on the presence of young people. So like they, like, I think we see Zoe shield the eyes of the child one time after one of the teenagers gets shot, but like, there's never a like, well, we should probably do this to keep this kid alive, which if anybody's going to do that, you feel like it's going to be M. Night Shyamalan. But like, even when it's like, if I'm going to go, I'm going to be with you. I want to be with you. Like, I'm going to come, I'm going to come out there. I'm going to be with you. Like, and he starts walking across this field and Zoe comes to meet him and it's like, you brought the little girl. You're, oh yeah, she, they go full death. death cult right with that child. You're, you're just, you're just, you've committed this child to dying. What? Also, Nobody seems to. Dad left her behind. You're just gonna kill her. Yes. Those two mm-hmm. kids are dead, and it didn't really change the level of stress you were at at all. Which was again only at like a like high key concern. The the threat of children dying doesn't seem to move the needle Maybe for people. Humanity being wiped out. They have no contact with the outside world. They yeah. do not know that they are not the last people on fucking earth yeah. at this point. Like yeah. they mm-hmm. know nothing, and. They have no concern. It doesn't escalate for them. They never think about what if this gets worse? What if this spreads everywhere? What if yeah. this is forever? Yeah, you don't have to consider that. Forever. No. They You're never, right. Nobody considers ever. that it's forever. It's always no, they just need to get no. on the eastern seaboard. Well, and it's also always immediately until this passes. Like everybody yeah. yes. just knows and is sure that it's just gonna go away. Also, like, which I guess, like, having lived through the pandemic, I do think people are a little bit, like, optimistic at first. But I think there is at least these moments in the beginning of a of a catastrophe, catastrophe where everyone's killing themselves, where you're like, maybe 
bad. <laughs> yeah. Maybe bad things are happening. But mm-hmm. also this girl, the little girl, doesn't talk ever no. in this movie. No. Like, I think she has four lines and half of them are like, bye, dad. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. That, they, I don't know, did she like, was she, did they hire someone who then <clears throat> like they thought could act and couldn't and they cut all her lines? Like, what happened that no one cares that she's here? They could have no. brought a suitcase and it would have the exact same emotional <laughs> yeah. resonance as what they did. I really like the part where she whispers to Mark. Mark and like the part where she whispers to Mark Wahlberg, like from a dis, and we just see it from a distance, and we never know what the fuck she says to him after they after they all overhear one woman's daughter committing suicide. Oh god! And Mark Wahlberg right. like takes it particularly personally, and he goes to sit amongst a field of wheat, which like. <laughs> You know, if you asked me where would I like to sit during what might be a plant-based pandemic, it would <laughs> yeah. not be the wheat field. And then the girl walks over and from a distance, she whispers something and then he like embraces her and none of us know what it is. And it doesn't matter because nothing that she says would actually have any impact on the plot. She said, I'm glad my parents are dead. And, <laughs> I and I'm going to kill you too. Yeah, you're next, bitch. Um, and <laughs> Actually, when I tweeted about this movie and the mood ring specifically, somebody responded to the tweet and said, I'm actually the voice of the girl in the dorm room that is on the phone. Stop. And I was like, what? I was shocked. And she's like, yeah, I grew up in Philly. And she was like, everyone that I knew that did like any level of acting was in M. Night Shyamalan's movies, at least one. Like everyone I knew was in at least one movie if you were in Philly and an actor. And so she was like, that's my claim to fame is I am the girl who's like the daughter at college who's in the dorm room. And we listen to her kill herself over the speakerphone. Yeah. As a group. And they're all so invested in this girl that they've never met because it's like a woman they're with's daughter, I guess. And I'm like, Maybe take it off speakerphone and have your last few moments with your daughter solo. Like, right, right? Yeah. Like Mark Mark when Mark doesn't get to grabs take the phone, phone from yeah, her. He doesn't get to take yeah. your phone right now. I would fucking kill someone if my kid was about to commit suicide and someone was like, here, let me grab the phone. And if it was on top of that, Mark Wahlberg? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Are you kidding me right now? I can't imagine more grief being processed through my body than Mark Wahlberg <laughs> having the phone while my kid killed themselves. Right. That is horrific. Yeah. And M. Night Shyamalan's twisted mind came up with that. Well, that is, I mean, and, and that like the is is the we get Kendall from Succession as the I was gonna yes least I, I, composed. I, like a lot of shit, like he might be the only person reacting in accordance with how crazy and bad this all is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but also, Jordan, would you, if you were a hardened soldier, use the phrase cheese and crackers? Well, clearly they were making, I mean, that's so, that's so specific. It's like, okay, they're going to make, that's his deal, I guess. Like he's, I don't know, the super Christian soldier. Like it's so, it's not like, oh, he only says shoot. He says cheese and crackers. Like it's, we're making this a character detail. <laughs> so like, okay, I guess that's the route that we've gone. Like it, it's just, and then again, like the the just the the cacophonous nature of this movie. These are not choices that I, I deeply do not believe. These are choices that the actors read their sides and they were like, "This is what I'm going to do on the day of." Like <laughs> it feels very much like they were guided to this place because every choice feels so inorganic and discordant with the surroundings that, like, I just wish I could. I just wish I could know from somebody from one of like the key people in this orbit. Like, so what was? M. Night telling you? Because I'm not even saying this movie didn't set out to accomplish exactly whatever it set out to accomplish. 
I'm saying the the intention. It's not even like it went off the rails. I think every choice was just the wrong fucking choice. The rails are insane yeah. in this movie. They're Whatever insane. the rails are, it is sick. It oh is my god. Sick. Built the rails is a fucking sicko. <laughs> and it's M. Night Shyamalan. Did you guys also feel like at certain times Jeremy Strong was doing a really weird Adam Sandler impression? Because there no, were definitely the moments where yeah, there were moments where I was like, it's this feels like if Adam Sandler were trying to be if Jeremy Strong were being Adam Sandler being a character cast in this film. Okay, I had to look up which guy that was because I think there's also another guy from Succession in this movie for a split second. Oh, there's another. Uh, I yes. think. Yeah, no, Cameron, uh, Cameron from Ferris Bueller's Day Off is in oh, it. Yes, 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 yes. and yeah. he's in Succession too, right? I don't he watch it, but I'm yes, pretty he sure. is. He is. Yeah. So weirdly, this is a prequel to Succession. <laughs> yeah. People universe. don't know this. <laughs> yeah. But they, they exist in the same universe. And no, I agree with you completely. It, every single choice that he made was like, do you know what film you're in? And that's true for most of the actors in this film, which like right. you said, I think points to the fact that someone was directing them that way because like, otherwise yeah. you kind of end up with like patchworkness that makes a quilt that you're like, oh, not smooth. Some people didn't know shit, but whatever. Some people it's like didn't a do the assignment. This was, like, so much chaos that it had to be planned. Like, it looped back around to, like, no, you planned this chaos. This is insane. Well, and you, and, like, we know, these are, like, these are some actors we know. Extreme, like, we know, we we know Mark Wahlberg very well. He's been in a billion things. We know what Zoe Deschanel's presence is on camera. Nothing about what you see in this movie lines up with even their natural energies in so many ways that it's, like, I don't think us I don't think a single natural decision you as a performer would have made got you here. I think this was like, oh, the director has a vision and we're gonna go with it. And it's just I think that's why I hate this movie so much is like it feels almost like it feels contemptuous for the audience. I watch this movie and I feel like someone is trying to make me have the worst time and like engineered a viewing experience to make me feel that way. Like it feels like a troll. This movie feels like a troll. See, Jordan, I would disagree on the idea that they aren't like I don't think anyone is being more Zoe Desch more of their acting personality than Zoe Deschanel in that opening moments that we meet her, where she is having an extended moment with her phone and she looks at it, then she puts it away, then she throws it, then she like reaches for it and slaps sure. her own hand back. No, I think and then the at the end when thing, but the being like utterly like seemingly yeah. freshly hatched that morning and is the most annoying as I, you were exactly right to be the worst sitcom wife shit yeah was like no why like why don't you know like well what's going on it's like nobody knows what's going on why are you asking this question why are you sincerely sincerely expecting to have the answer to this question like the babe in the woods i would have divorced thing. her yeah i would have been like go fuck mr tiramisu and leave me out of this <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> do you guys know what is the most troll fact about this movie is that it grossed like a hundred million dollars. Yeah. More yeah. than a hundred. Like, Roger not, Ebert no, no. gave it a great review. Like, but I was reading it. the review on it and I was like, what the fuck, guys? I think it grossed like worldwide 163 million, which is like, and it was made for like 50 million. So like, it right. made a hundred million dollars mm -hmm. off of us. Like, we are off of the us. problem. <laughs> we did it. Well, this was, this was, this was like, we weren't, I feel like the skid was not yet certified in the the weird because we enter the off earth phase of M Night Shyamalan's career where everything becomes 
horrible with The Last Enderbender and After Earth. But like signs came out and it was fucking gargantuan. And then The Village came out and people were like, I'll see anything M. Night Shyamalan. And then Lady in the Water Habit was like, um, we're still going. And then The Happening was like, oh, it's like a return to just like supernatural spookies. And everybody showed up. And I feel like that this was to me the beginning of of an, the end of the first incarnation of M Night Shyamalan. I'm a big fan of the visit. I really like Split. I do not like Glass. I I appreciate that he is very much himself all of the time. But I this was like the death knell for phase probably two of M Night Shyamalan, and then three was a catastrophe. This was and yet we showed up. And we yet showed we up showed to up. watch Mark Wahlberg never once punch a tree. Never once. The closest we got to tree on human on tree violence was the menacing shots of the little girl swinging on a tree. And we were all supposed to be like, oh, no, is swinging on the tree going to piss off the maple? Right. Right. Which, like, why would you do that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, right? Like, why would you interact with the tree I mean, at that point? Like, even in, like, a non-plant-based terror attack, I'm not like, hey, my priority here is the playground. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> yeah. even if I have a kid with me, I'm going to be like, um... Let's hunker down. I mean, I know it's like a part of it is like, like, let's normalize what's going on. But again, these people are convinced that this is going to pass in a day. Like, let's find food and like, they don't eat the entire movie too, which stressed me the fuck out. (laughs) I was like, y'all find a granola bar. There are dead people's houses everywhere. Yeah. And it happened today. It's not like it happened eight months ago and you're going to go into a house and it's going to be like rotting molded food. It's like, Mm -hmm. you probably have gushers near you <laughs> get them Go. they found the one house that has no food in it they found a model home with nothing but fake food we think and that, that, that was is the home that like, they decided to stay think in that's like a huge statement on like subtext or something that they just for seemingly no textual reason end up in a model home filled with Fake objects. I think it leads to the fake plant moment, I guess, but that's because, not even like, like a worthwhile you, scene. Like when, that like, is stupid. They know that the, they know that like this house is filled with weird shit. Like he's pulled the the fake book plates off the wall. I'm like, oh, what's this? And then he walked like he. There's that whole sequence where he sits down at the dining table with one of the kids, and he like in mid conversation he picks up the wine glass and starts talking like he's having dinner at, at, with like with a wine glass at the table, and he goes to like make like a half motion and drink it, then he sets it down. It's like was this whole thing for this bit like was this whole thing for a sight gag or is there something about like the artifice of modern life in here like i think m night Shyamalan pitched it to someone else or wrote it as this this is my guess this is a total (laughs) guess but i'm guessing that he was like i think it would be so cool i've always wanted to film a scene in a really like scary movie where everything's a little bit off and fake because they're in a fake house and like that's fine but that's like a very like film school first draft yeah yeah. (laughs) And that's like that's beautiful. I also because, do, yeah. I, I also do think though that like M Night Shyamalan, the only person who has a worse sense of humor than M Night Shyamalan is George Lucas, <laughs> in terms of like what they think is funny versus what actual humans think are funny. Well, and I think I think I think M Night takes himself pretty seriously in some ways. Yes, I, but he I does think that he's, he does do jokes and like yeah. which like he but but his jokes he, his sense of timing is some of the most abysmal sense. So I do truly think that there was a degree to which he was like it's going to be hilarious because Mark Wahlberg is going to be having this whole conversation while gesturing with a fake glass of wine right. to a fourteen year old who's previously asked him about why he hasn't had children. Yeah, and and like and we're setting up like he's going to have a conversation with a tree in a bit. Like we know that these silly things are going to happen, but because so much about the movie is silly. 
in a not in on we're in a not we we want to be in on this joke way. It's like the jokes don't land because they just feel like they were wrong dramatic choices, even if they're so obviously kind of horsing around. Like when he, you know, after the tiramisu lie is discovered and Mark Wahlberg is like, you know, I have something to tell you too. And he talks about how he saw a beautiful woman at the store or something like that. And he's like, I almost bought cops. She's like, I feel like a perfect encapsulation of this movie is when he tells this silly little story, non sequitur, involved mm-hmm. in nothing. And Zoe Deschanel goes, are you joking? And he just slowly, seriously nods. I was like, yes, that's the happening. This sequence <laughs> that is, is the happening. Mm-hmm. So true, because that would have been a funny moment it had it happened, one, when she revealed the tiramisu thing yeah. so that it was like it made sense. And also had it actually delivered on the premise of being a bit and being a joke. Like that would have been beautiful. Good for them. But I also do feel like, and again, I agree with you that like Mark Wahlberg and Zoe Deschanel have done good acting in things. So it's not that I don't think that they're like piece of shit actors. (laughs) People maybe question mark. One of them's dating a property brother and the other blinded a man in a racially motivated attack. So (laughs) you do the math. Yes. Yes. Not great people, but. They seem to be okay-ish actors, but there is something incredibly comical about both of them. Yes. And both of them cannot, I don't think, carry off comedy in a serious moment like maybe another actor could. Like, mm-hmm. I could see someone that it has, like, the chops and seriousness legitimately of, like, Harrison Ford carrying off something kind of goofy in a moment because yeah. he yeah he can play someone who's earnest and serious in a terrorist attack. Mark Wahlberg is laughable in a terrorist attack which is even funnier because unless he he's trying to stop the terrorist 9-11 it doesn't work like if there's a terrorist attack movie and Mark Wahlberg is in it Mark Wahlberg needs to be the one stopping the terrorists well you know he has claimed publicly many times that he would have stopped 9-11 yes. had he been on the planes mm-hmm. okay yes so yes. that's why I yes. think he actually like brought his acting like um like self from in this movie like I think he really said like this is my point of view for this film is I could have stopped 9-11 and I'd like to convey that yeah yeah and then it turned out that the movie was so weird and it didn't work but someone pitched it to him I believe as like hey it's a terrorism movie and you can stop it and you're the hero and you're the hero and it turned to be about plants but he had no idea how to pivot out of his contract that's my belief Well, and I think because we know because he can do he can do absurd as long as he fully commits to it, like pain and gain. He functions very well in the movie pain and gain. And it's this really heightened, ridiculous like it's that kind. It's kind of like that character. But if that character were like a roid raging meathead with Anthony Mackie hanging out like it, it, it works in that way. But it's like it took the spirit of that character and put it in a drama that's also a horror movie and made all these crazy choices. Like, there's not the middle ground for this actor. Like, there's either stopping the terrorist attack or being the pain and gain doofus. There isn't the blend of the two. He is campy, and this movie doesn't have the space for his camp. Like, he (laughs) can do... This movie made no room for Mark Wahlberg's beautiful camp art that he is making. And Mm -hmm. it's not even... I don't even think it's that intentional of him. I just think he's a ridiculous person. Yeah. Like, I love the other guys in it but I'm like I don't know if you were acting or you just showed up on set that day and you acted like that and they filmed it I don't know yeah go on your beautiful way though like I think Mark Wahlberg (laughs) believes he's every character that he is when it's happening like I don't think he knows he's in movies all the time and that's fine (laughs) (laughs) he's built an empire on it yeah and good for him he's so rich and successful but that did not work in this movie there is no way you could make it work in this movie yeah I still can't believe that he was he did not insist upon his character wearing glasses 
It's a real like glasses that just feels character. Like, it's that a real really feels like that character. was a choice that he would have insisted upon so to really emphasize that he's the kind of dweeb who wouldn't stop a terrorist attack. Like Jeremy Renner in Arrival, who I hate even more than I can even explain. That movie is... <laughs> yes. <laughs> that movie is yep, this Jer- movie exactly. with like a real glass of wine is what that movie is. <laughs> I think I think like you made a you made a good point earlier Sophia of like that nobody like learns anything mm-hmm. like because they ostensibly like it gets settled upon basically like Mark Wahlberg pretty much commits to the idea that it's the wind and the plants but that's never conveyed as anything mm-hmm. more than like a notion and it is introduced just by the guy who owns a greenhouse and he mm-hmm. just says it he just like offhandedly is like you know, I bet it's the plants. And that's it. That we don't get any, fir- like, not that we need to, like, unpack all the mysteries of anything, but, like, that that guy is just the one who introduces that and then dies off screen. And then and he the, loves the- hot dogs. Loves, loves hot dogs. They're, they're a I him. Throws that fact in between talking about hot dogs, yeah, which I thought was the most amazing. The he should have mm-hmm. been the lead and everyone knows it. He was so good. Knows everyone knows it. Well, he, he was, I mean, he clearly was the most, important character in the entire movie he was the only one who cogently delivers the news of what's actually going on and we don't even aside. know if it's true at the end of the movie right. we do not know if plants killed people we don't know if it was the wind we don't know if it will ever happen again we Ooh. don't know if it's currently happening on a slower rate we don't know why the plants killed people yeah. we don't know if mark Wahlberg made that all up mm-hmm. i don't know that mark <laughs> Wahlberg didn't have a bad mushroom trip right <laughs> i i genuinely left that movie with so many more questions about what happened mm-hmm. than answers. And the characters don't ha- have questions, even though they've learned nothing. They have nothing. no questions. They're like, cool, no. that was kind of weird, wasn't it? Remember March? Uh, yeah, yeah, I have my, my dead friend's kids now. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. totally unburdened of everything. It seems like as soon as, like when he's put her on the bus and everything, like, yeah, I mean, like life, you know, finds a way, things move on. But like, there's nothing there, you feel like there should be something in that scene where there's like a fear or a hesitation around like this girl going off to school and knowing that wind plant toxins could kick up at any time and kill us all. And everyone's just like, okay, I'll pick you up after school. There's not like a, are you sure? Are you sure you want to go? Are you comfortable? Like nobody indicates that what they've just been through. But it also, six th- how is later. there a bus full of children? Yes. Where are yes. they located? Entire yes. cities have been wiped out. Like, there should be, how are there not memorials? How are there not, I mean, I guess, then again, we've just gone through a catastrophic disaster of our own where like, it's not as if, you know, we're seeing memorials on roadsides, but still, you would think with entire cities decimated that you can't just go back to your cute suburb, like nice little rural city situation and have it be fucking normal again. And yet- I mean, at least we see people walking around with masks on now, like maybe yeah. not as many as there should be. But this it's kind of like, oh, wait, why was nobody walking around with a mask on in this movie? Like, why was no, it, why did nobody have a mask on at the end? It was six months later and this girl wasn't even sad. Her parents both died and no. he and that she's living with a new family. Like she literally was just like, <laughs> yep, stuff happens. Shit happens. We move on. Like, Gotta take my photo of my dead parents to school in my backpack. Come on, Jess. The, the frame, frame photo. photo. Mm-hmm. I mean, but she wasn't, like, that was their way of saying, like, she is sad, I guess. But it was, like, in six months as an adult, if both my parents died, especially if both my parents died because one of them was a freak dumbass who wanted to go die with the other one, <laughs> yeah. and I was left with Mark Wahlberg in my life in any capacity, 
Yeah. I would be crying every day. I would not be at school. And that's a fact. <laughs> that's a child with some serious separation anxiety. Like, let's talk about the fact that that child would be clinging to Mark Wahlberg's leg not right. to get on she the bus. Didn't, she, didn't, she didn't do well being with one of her biological parents who seemed to be <laughs> attentive and loving to her. It was like, like, without mom there, things were bad. But, like, she really, like, the the signing over, which the, a key feature of disaster movies, yes. inheriting the disaster child. So it, it really does exist in that long tradition quite heartily. But it was just, like, because, like, we talk a lot on this podcast about, like, terrible disaster children. She was, like, the antithesis of the terrible disaster children because she was given no opportunity to experience the disaster. She yeah. was a backpack. <laughs> like she was a backpack that could sometimes talk yeah she was it was like dora the explorer <laughs> <laughs> yeah jess was dora or no sorry uh, mark Al- was dora alma was dora alma that's right her name was alma, alma. I, every time they called her jess and i was like i kept thinking it was because i just associate jess with zoe de chanel now and so it was very confusing there were lots of J names in this film. It was like he just gave up on naming characters, went through a baby naming book, I and picked all the J's. I don't remember what Mark Wahlberg's character's name was. Elliot. Elliot. The least, there is never a world in which Mark Wahlberg will ever be known as an Elliot, Elliot. and yet. <laughs> Fucking Elliot. I can't. You're right. I he should have had glasses. I'm. That would have been a, there should have been a scene dedicated mm-hmm. to him losing them and then breaking yes. and him being breaking. like, oh no. Like a Twilight Zone nod. I yeah, love it. yeah, yeah, and then he realizes he doesn't need them because his eyes are just so strong on their own. Right. We, found by the way, a- speaking of Mark Wahlberg's vision in this movie, can I just spend like five seconds going, "What the fuck was that doll reveal?" Where he goes and reveal. knocks on the door. I loved the doll reveal. So they're at the crazy, the crazy woman's house. Yeah, the who, inexplicably by the way, like angry and perhaps perhaps unwell woman. Yes. But that was when like, she, that made no sense. That made no. No the sense. whole sequence made no plan on murdering in my sleep. What? No. Yeah. Least sus- most suspicious response you could have had, Mark yeah. Wahlberg. Yeah. But then he goes to try to find her in the morning to be like, it's bad. We like something is going on. I have to tell you, even though you've explicitly said you don't want to know about don't the disaster. Tell don't tell me. And he th- knocks on the door and thinks it's her lying in bed. And then it's like a two and a half foot doll. Yeah. It's the boy. It's suddenly the boy. I what think boy? it's like the like the movie The Boy. Oh, like oh the doll, okay. The doll but, Brahms. The but doll, she, it's a doll's so feet tiny. Is so tiny. Yeah, so tiny. tiny. It is not an adult woman. You Mark not, Wahlberg you, does not have object permanence, <laughs> and this proves it. <laughs> He's like, he 100%. I. Hundred percent. She was in this room. She must still be in this room, and I don't have any other answers, frankly. He like, sees like literally he approaches a, the bed, saying her name. It is a doll, Mark. It's a wooden doll. <laughs> Truly, Mark Wahlberg and his acting and the script were a gift that we all received. It is just, and it it, it just, again, it like, there are these absolutely, because like, it, it's again, it all feels, it's all so specific that it's like, you know, the various tones that are mm-hmm. in your movie, M. You know, like that that movie old is coming up, and that's going to be oh. like the first M night we've had in a while. So, like the idea of people losted onto an island that's suddenly like rapidly aging them. Like, how many? It's like it's like it's either going to work really well, or there are going to be so many plot holes you end up in a fucking happening situation. So many like, <laughs> logic holes, and it's just he's a real buyer beware kind of director. It is. It is such an experience to go through a movie directed by him because of the fact that at any time it truly can veer directly into the made-for-TV movies that we have yeah. watched so many times. Yeah, like but Casper with- Van Dien. 
yeah. could have carried this movie well. Absolutely. Casper Van, I would have, he would at least have known what science is. Right. I mean, well, he's, he's dealt with fire twisters. Mm-hmm. So that's, he that's would have done great in it. knowledge. Mm-hmm. I think, I think like a, like, and I, like the idea of fantasy, like we will get to fantasy casting. So I guess I shouldn't talk too much more about it, but just yeah. it does. It feels much more of a piece with like the movie we watched about the lightning that turns into balls and rolls around on the ground and kills yeah. people. The opening, at the opening minutes, seconds of this movie, like the opening where you're looking at clouds and there's dramatic like stock music playing. Yeah. And then we see, we pan down and we're in a park. Everything about it, I was like, this is the most opening sequence of a sci-fi channel original film sci-fi that I've ever seen. Film. Yep. This sci-fi channel like, original film. It could have been, it could just as easily have been panning down and all of a sudden we're at Plymouth Rock. And then Plymouth Rock is picked up by a stonado and yeah. carried away and slams down on someone in a basketball on a basketball hoop. Well, there's also like, there's that weird moment at the very very beginning where we have like our cold open and there's mm-hmm. that woman on the park. There's two women on the park bench and one of them like when things start to get kind of funky, she looks over. She's like, "What is that? Is that is that person clawing at themselves? Like, what, mm-hmm. are they covered in blood?" And the camera moves over. We don't see that. We see nothing. We see none of that. Like that doesn't that doesn't that. We see horrific things happen in this movie. It's like, what was that line? Is that is that a, like, do people start seeing horrific things before they then take their own lives? But this or was is that consistent just- throughout the whole film? What happens when people get attacked get remains completely inconsistent mm-hmm. because it like certain people freeze, certain people yeah. like completely stop moving. Yeah, certain people certain walk people backwards. kill them, walk backwards. Certain people kill themselves, but like it's not always addressed what happens to whom and why no. and again there's yeah. no internal consistency here i have no reason to know I, I and again no one gives any answers no one gets any answers so it doesn't yeah right. yeah you just fuck. <laughs> like fuck you for trying to think <laughs> about this movie just, fuck you yeah. like, <laughs> like that's what m night Shyamalan <laughs> said he said go fuck yourself with this film yeah that I, was his message i think that i think that was absolutely because i went and, i remember i went and saw this in a theater Oh my god! And my not I didn't I like it was one of the nights where I had gone to see something else, and I was like, "Oh, and the happenings playing here, so I'm going to stay." So I didn't buy a ticket to this, but I don't remember what the first movie I saw that night was. But I remember this was the second, and I remember just getting I left so pissed off, like the the contempt this I felt like this movie had for me, like felt active. It felt like insulting from the director themselves. And that was just like a, <laughs> what the fuck was that, man? Like, what did we do? What did we do? We go see your movies. You get to make whatever crazy mysteries you want. What's your fucking deal with this, man? <laughs> this feels super rude. This movie feels super rude. He can, s- that's one of the frustrating things about movies like this is I'm like, you are so powerful and you're coming off of like six cents and signs and shit and you can make anything you want. And then you said, we're making this. And that just feels genuinely upsetting, upsetting as someone who would one day like to make a movie and will probably never have a movie made. Because I'm like, <laughs> I guess I should fuck myself is what you're like. I, I can't think of another phrase that it's just like, like you said, there's so much contempt of like, I'm going to spend $48 million. Yeah. You know how many people could be housed with the money that this right. movie yeah. cost? Yeah. Like they, they don't care. That's it. No, like, that's they, the end. they don't care. They don't care. Every single person involved in this movie said, I do not care. I don't care. Yeah. 
I think that's where it gets me is it just feels like that. Yeah. And it what like, you know, I would, I would hope to advocate for the like inverse of that where there is the go fuck yourself of it. Absolutely. But the, you know, one hopes that it could also be like, I mean, fuck, if this gets made, I know I've got it in me. Like (laughs) if this can happen, yes, it's coming off of this guy who's made like a string of hits, but like, God damn it. If enough people at a full ass studio, not like independently funded, could be like, I mean, whatever the fuck, and just like make a jerk off motion and let this script go through, then like, I believe in you. Thank you. I think we can all make a movie. After seeing this, I believe <laughs> yeah. any of us can make a movie. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, I, I have always been like, to? I'm not ready to be a disaster, to be a director because I don't have the experience. And having seen this now, I'm like, no, you know what? I could probably direct actors. Like I, I, I at least I at least know what not to do at this point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's good. It's not going to be worse or more incoherent or inconsistent than this movie. That's true. No, I mean no. you may not get the glowing Ebert review. Uh, he might be dead. Uh, but <laughs> right, uh, you're going to make a movie that is more holistic than this film. Mm-hmm. I guess I would say I think I can. I, I think I can confidently say this is one of the three worst movies I've ever seen. Like, and I like terrible mm -hmm. movies. Like, as a matter of course, I love trash. But this isn't even that. The three, the three, the movies I have the most, the three movies I have the most contempt for that I've ever seen are this, Mother, and and Sucker Punch. Well, I can't ever see Sucker Punch because I I hate Mother. I can't even think about it without wanting to die. Yeah. I I hate that movie. I hated it, but at least it was what it was trying to execute it did more successfully than this film i couldn't say that i mean the acting is better the acting is absolutely you you could not get michelle pfeiffer's performance in mother in this film thank god michelle pfeiffer wasn't subjected to this i I, yeah i'm gonna fantasy cast her in in the next segment because she could have handled this film better yeah She could have turned the ship around. The only problem, of course, is that at the end, she can't become pregnant, which is absolutely what should happen when what we've just learned is that humans are the problem on this planet. Right. But how is, but but it's okay. With how much people care about kids in this movie, why wouldn't she be pregnant? She's pregnant. (laughs) It's great. Who cares? Their marriage is smoking a cig. Like, I love it. I just love that at the end, France is subjected to the to tree terror. Yeah, I it, like it's just like all right, take it round, take it around the world, and thank God we never got that sequel. Mm-hmm. Do we think that brings us then to a point where we want to go on to what was this movie really about? I think it does. After a, a short word from somebody not near, who even though you know they talk about loving good and bad movies, I think they would also asterisk this film, folks. Do you love movies, the good ones, even the bad ones everyone told you not to like? It sounds like Super Yaki might be the place for you. Uh, the team at Super Yaki loves movies, so much so that they've dedicated every waking moment of their lives to bringing you top-quality merchandise to showcase your love for them. From super soft t-shirts saluting the brave of us who go to the movies by themselves, to comfy sweatshirts and aprons commemorating historic events like the night Florence Pugh made marmalade. They even carry enamel pins of some of your favorite directors like Hayao Miyazaki and Guillermo del Toro. Super Yaki joyously brings you tangible love letters to your favorite movies and filmmakers that you can wear with pride. Plus, the team at Super Yaki screen prints all their apparel using eco-friendly, 100% water-based inks and ships using compostable poly mailers for an environmentally friendly alternative to online shopping. 
If you shop at Super Yaki, we can prevent the happening from happening. Yes, it's a guarantee. (laughs) And as a special gift to you, listeners can save 10% on their order with code DISASTERDIVA, all caps, no spaces, DISASTERDIVA at checkout. Uh, If the spirit moves you, you can find them at superyaki.com. Let's watch more movies and let's make sure to check out their hot ghoul summer line that they're dropping revolving around horror movies in July. I believe the first up is The Lost Boys, but I don't think that's the last that will be up in the lineup. So hot ghoul summer, everybody. So what is this movie really about? Sophia, do you want to start this one off? Yeah, do you you have a take on this? I think my sincere take is that the movie is meant to be the idea of a nuclear family being created uh, Mm. through people Mm -hmm. that were disparate, like most disaster movies are. Like, there's Mm. this, like, weird hearkening for a nuclear family. And, like, there's the mood ring of, like, are we really in love? And, like, I can tell we're really in love, even though we both hate each other and haven't had a pleasant moment being together during a terrorist attack. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Apparently, she was a wreck on their wedding day and and seemingly didn't want to get married at all. Yes. So like there's every red flag you can possibly imagine. Um, But I I guess the the idea is like the sanctity of a nuclear family can't be destroyed by a terrorist attack. I think that's like the maybe correct answer. If I mean, that's being so generous again to this film. Um, But I think my my actual answer is that I think it's really about the power of mood rings. (laughs) I mean, how could you be blamed for thinking that? He packs it immediately on his terrorist trip. So his terrorists <laughs> flee from the city. And he I does. think that's what it's about. It's the yeah. one object he carries. It's the one thing he ensures is with him throughout the entire movie. Can we learn how to feel from artificial things in our lives? Can they represent us appropriately? Will an object ever display back to us how we're really feeling? That's mm-hmm, what this mm-hmm. movie's about. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I like that. All right. Amanda, what do you got after that? I um I think that what the movie I like is actually about is not what he intended, which okay. is that the only way to survive in this world is to do so on your own. Sure. Whoa. Okay. I mean, yeah, um, as few do, as possible. As few people as possible is what is what draws away the um exactly. the the plants. Mm-hmm. If there's too big of a group, the plants act out. Um, and so I think that it's actually a movie completely eschewing personal responsibility. I which, think that's totally, I think much like the day of the animals, I think uh-huh. that is totally right, Amanda. Yeah. I think this is a movie that is about a complete lack of personal responsibility in our actions, in our impact on the world, and in yeah. our impact on each other. There is no thought about how, you know, about how either of their actions could possibly have led to the death of other people. There is mm-hmm. no thought or concern about the child. And in fact, by the end of it, like, they were supposed to be happy that they have another kid. And never worrying for a second about whether or not that, you know, the overpopulation of the planet, which, by the way, is a complete misnomer in terms of reasons that the Earth is having problems. Um, Overpopulation is not actually an issue, but... Thank you. If we're supposed to believe, I could talk yeah. about this all day. Matt House fucked us all over for a million years with his racist ass theories, but right, exactly. It's so fucking racist and wrong. And the truth is, is that it's not overpopulation. And the truth is, is that the problems with this planet, in terms of pollution and greenhouse gases, are not based in personal responsibility. But, right. I mean, like it, that's a yeah. separate issue. But I don't think that's the issue this movie is getting at. I think this movie is basically getting at it's other people's faults. And that is, to me, what this movie is truly about, is that there are good people on this planet who deserve to live, and then there's everyone else who, you know, 
are selfish and they're driving away and they aren't letting Mark Wahlberg get right, in their car right. and they don't deserve it. And then there's the the evil people shooting the children, but they're not really <laughs> evil. And maybe the kids deserve to die because we're just going to move right the fuck on from it. Like, it's just, I, I truly think this is a movie about how it's other people's fault and problems for the fact that the world is in the state we're in. And it is not the fault or problem of Mark Wahlberg or Zoe Deschanel. Um, and they should be allowed to live their empty headed vacant lives. And uh, to that, I say, fuck them. Yeah. And I, I think, I think that, I think that, like, like bringing up the day of the animals there, it's because like mm-hmm. it, there's this event, there's this happening and yeah. then it, it fucks with all the animals and the animals come to hunt us down. But then it, it's because we caused a big hole in the ozone layer. Yeah. And then it, it, all these rays, these bad rays got through and it tainted the animals and the animals became rabid. Oh, well then the whole like moves or closes and then all the animals are fine and we bounce back. So it's like a movie about environmentalism and w- what we have done to erode the earth. But then like, oh, at the end of the day, the Band-Aid put itself on and everything's fine. And so this movie has like, it ends with a newsman talking about how this is just like the first stage of like, this is like a rash appearing before the sickness and we should be prepared for more of this stuff to happen. Being like, we have destroyed this planet. We are not responsible stewards, like that kind of thing. But then ultimately, if the disasters just dissipate, then it's kind of just out of our hands at a certain point, isn't it? Like, it's just going to thin us out till it's done. Like, I think this movie is ultimately about nothing because it becomes an equation that just cancels itself out. Like, since you guys have done great, such great jobs, like giving it a thing, I'm going to, I'm going to go straight for it and say, and it was about nothing in the end because it canceled out everything it was trying to do. But that's yeah. the exact point of that opening scene. I think you're probably the most correct because if you take the microcosm of the mm-hmm. opening scene, which is him saying there is no meaning behind this. We'll never find yeah. out an answer. Nothing. The bees are dying for no good reason. And we can't understand nature, nor should we even try. Nor should and we try. science is pointless. And mm-hmm. all of this is pointless because... I'm just in this class and, to hit on teenage boys. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. And that's what he was doing. <laughs> uh-huh. And you cannot convince me otherwise. Uh, but like... Also, he should have been at school when he was dropping his daughter off at the bus. I was like, you have to go to school too, bitch. Like, (laughs) what are you doing? Um, But I genuinely think it's such a cop out for your first scene to be like, actually, the answer is we don't know. It's nothing. It's meaningless. And I think you're right. That's what the entire film ultimately was trying to say is that we'll never have answers, but not in the poetic, beautiful way, which is you should still wonder. You should still search for answers. You should still find meaning within this. Mm -hmm. It was eh, fuck you if you think there's an answer. Like, fuck you, you're a piece of dumb shit. Like, what? That's yeah. not a, a yeah. response as a film. You can't make a film like that. <laughs> like, that's ridiculous. Especially when you mm-hmm. seem to be going so much for sincerity. Like, yeah. when you're when you're pushing so hard, like, into sincerity and kind of schlock, to have it ultimately be, like, a shruggy is, a, it's just, that that's untenable. That does yes. not work. Like you said, they undermine it at the very start, and you're like, oh, I guess they're going to spend the movie disproving this part of it, because otherwise there's no movie, because there's no tension, because nothing matters. And it ultimately ends up that they, like, are given a reason, kind of, and people attach to a reason, sort of, and then in the end, a guy is yelling about the planet wanting to purge us, but then ultimately, eh, I guess at least it's just in France now. Like, yeah. was it? The and most- also, the the other newscaster is like, "Well, I'm not even sure that it is plants. It might have been the government." And so, like that, also, it also gets fully dismissed out of hand by other people. I think this was the most French movie I've ever watched. <laughs> <laughs> nothing. It should had have an been answer. part of the Red White Blue trilogy, really. Yeah, nothing had an answer. Nothing had a purpose. And at the end of the movie, you've grown not not at all. Nothing yeah. has happened, and it didn't you change have you. Yes, 
you just were here while this film happened. And that is the experience I feel when I watch most French films and it makes me angry every time. And M. Night Shyamalan made a beautiful French, like existential film. And he just had like (laughs) shitty actors. And if he had put like, Okay, here's moving into casting. If he had put like, yeah, I think we can. Well, let's move yeah. to Dreamcast now because you're teeing it right up. Well, here, put Marion Cotillard in every single fucking role here, and now wow. we've got a beautiful yeah. film. Now we have you're a right. beautiful film. Like you mm-hmm. shoot this just a little different, and you put mm-hmm. French actors in this movie. This movie is so beautiful and meaningful. People are gonna like come in their pants. This movie with yeah. Isabelle Hubert is an incredible experience. Art. It's yeah. art. Her- Prolonged shots of Marianne just staring at a tree and the tree just staring back at her. Like she, long her shots like, of just leaves. Yeah, and her being like a total cunt to her husband would have been amazing. Yeah. I would have been like, yeah. I love it. I love where your head's at. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah like, really. <laughs> the Paul Verhoeven version of this movie is compelling to me. Chef's kiss. Yes. Well, honestly, <laughs> the problem is this movie was too American for its own good. Yeah. <laughs> That's a and good if point. they had not cast Americans in it, mm-hmm. we'd be smooth sailing. You're right. If this was a Korean drama, I think I would have been all in. Yeah. Like, if I, this if starred Sung Kang-ho, I would have been like, oh, God. Like, another Bong Joon-ho, Sung Kang-ho collaboration. Oh, yeah. What a time. that Him in the Mark Wahlberg role? That would have been some powerful fucking material right there. Yeah, then this movie becomes about the toll that capitalism takes, like, on both humanity and the Earth itself. Because... Then it would be about like humanity. Then just like we would see lots of shots of logging and shit, and like we would basically feel the trees screaming. It would be fantastic. And the fact that they never get any answers would be part of the artistic merit of the film. Yeah. Of like they're mm-hmm. always the same level of confused. It never moves beyond this point because terror feels like this or whatever. Like being a human is this or something. Like yeah. they could have made a really arty version. Now I'm like convinced that I need to shot for shot remake this film. Really <laughs> arty, like so art house. Right, you can't yeah. believe it. I no, I think this is. I think this is actually kind of the exact answer for me. It becomes two and a half hours long basically mm-hmm. like yes it is, it is like the movie has to be two and a half hours long it is directed by like park chan wook it it stars it stars the star of the movie mother uh kim hya jay kim hya ja from from like who just gave this a crazy beautiful poignant performance um in the 2009 movie mother the korean movie mother which just like that's like grief and murder and protecting your family and it's ambient and strange like that's the kind of movie that i want from something that's just gonna like make me sit in the dread Mm -hmm. the entire time and like the the kind of genre blending that this movie does I think is actually very native to Korean filmmaker sensibilities and they're very deft with it. Whereas this movie doesn't know how to juggle something like the handmaiden, the handmaiden nails every one of these tones. Yes. And like, give me, give me the parasite version of this. Give me the stoker version of this. If it's going to be English language, it's still got to be, it's still got to be a South Korean director. Like, I think you're really right. This can't be an American film. It's so ridiculous to have Americans trying to do anything that's not like making a hot dog. And the one guy in this film <laughs> yeah. that was making a they hot dog to make a fucking hot dog. He made sense because he was like, "I get it. We're in an American movie," and everyone yep. else was like, mm-hmm. "No, yeah, yep." They're like, "This is actually Save the Green Planet," and this guy is over here. You know, like you said, man, doing an Adam Sandler movie. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Wow. 
I, I mean, I love both of your interpretations of this. And Jordan, just to, uh, you, uh, to go back to the fact that you cited Day of the Animal, I thought of Day of the Animals so many times while watching this I, movie. I re- having watched it, having yeah. watched Day of the Animals since the last time I watched th- this watch was like, oh, it's Day of the Animals. It's Day yeah, of the it's, Animals. It's Day of the Animals, but like not good. Because yeah. at least Day of the Animals, at least Day of the Animals, like you feel a general sense of dread many, many times. And you have Leslie times. Nielsen breaking fully bad. Yeah. No, Leslie, this this movie could I have used- Leslie Nielsen. And he oh, is the if you worst look person in this movie. Yeah. He plays an ad man, like on like a a like a tr- long like camping trek out into the woods. Who like as the rabidness takes over, some people are affected by it, but not others. Mm-hmm. So like the animals are all going rabid, and Leslie Nielsen's character becomes one of the affected. He goes so fully he feral, like, full feral alpha male. Like will take the rips woman off his shirt and yeah. threatens and threatens to kill a man. Yeah. He has a with a walking stick and then tries to rape a woman, and you're just. Yeah. Like it is the most. It is Leslie Nielsen, ter- but just like I'm so, so in. fully into it. Yeah, yeah I'm in. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in. And of course, he starts to be like, well, as an ad man, like being a complete mm-hmm. douchebag. So you know, he's like susceptible to the rabidity in the end. But yeah, would highly recommend this um, as a replacement for the happening day of the animals. Yeah, okay. yeah. Can't wait to watch this. It's yeah. It is, oh, wait, yeah, so it's definitely. What is, it? Amanda, what's your dream casting then? Yeah. Oh, yeah, my dream casting, I'm going in the entirely other direction on this. Um, and if someone came to me and was like, you have to remake The Happening, I'd be like, fuck you, no. But if right. I have to, I'm doing it entirely with Muppets. Oh, that's a good idea, oh, that's actually. Fun. It is. We're I remaking The Happening with Muppets. Weirdness but so of whimsy that, in this, also like, the, to go the, full dark right. whimsy sounds great. But also the trees must be Muppets as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want the trees to be not just their own characters. I want the trees to have faces. The, the, the happening is really just the second season of the Dark Crystal that we yeah. didn't get from Netflix. Yeah, but no, I don't want like the Muppet. I don't want Henson the Henson Studios. No, no, no. This is gonna be like fucking Kermit the Frog is gonna be Elliot Pepe the Prawn. Pepe the Prawn will be in this. Gonzo is gonna. I am a king prawn. <laughs> Gonzo is gonna be um, the John Leguizamo character. Okay. Um, and he's going to hand over his baby chick okay. to go find his wife, Camilla. Mm-hmm. Um, Who could I want- be just one of the chickens from, like, the Swedish chef. Exactly. Oh, the Swedish chef is going to be the hot dog guy. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Sam the Eagle will be the um, Jeremy Strong military <laughs> character. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then you'll get um, Scooter and Skeeter will be the two kids. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that works. Yeah, and oh, or or wait, who's Miss Piggy? What's she up to? Yeah, is she Zoe? The newscaster. Yeah, no, Miss <laughs> yeah, Piggy. Right, she's out of the shit. Yeah, Miss Piggy would be Zoe in this, but she would be the entire like instead of being like I had a tiramisu, it would be very like, well, you don't pay attention enough attention to me, so of course I have other suitors. Like that would be. She's like, Kermit, you don't pay. Like, that would be the point of contention. I see it. Yeah. I do see it. You know, and Fozzie is really quite the Mark Wahlberg character in this. Like, like he, he it's a very Fozzie role as it could Mark be Fozzie. Wahlberg is playing yeah. it in, in this incarnation. I, I don't know. I just, I really, I wanted to go full Muppets, a little bit Muppet movie. Like, at right. one point they pass Big Bird on the road and Big Bird has hung himself. Like, I don't know, man. <laughs> I just... I like where your head's at. My Thank original you. casting before I had this moment of like, maybe it's a French movie before I was going to pitch that is for some reason I was so stuck on Zoe Deschanel dating a property brother that I was like, we have to replace all the roles with property brothers. And that's <laughs> like immediately so watchable for me. 
<laughs> like I, I can't. Mean, yeah, at that point, it's event television. And and then I was like, well, what do like who do I actually like enjoy watching? And mm-hmm. for some reason, my brain got really stuck on the idea of the main character being Danny DeVito and then his wife. <laughs> being Jane Fonda because I just love the two of them and it makes no sense it doesn't even make the movie that much different or better it just I love them you know and so I was like I want Danny DeVito to be in a disaster movie now yeah Danny DeVito should be in a disaster I feel like we're at a perfect point in Danny DeVito's career where he should be in disaster movies he should be in that Moonfall one that Roland Emmerich is making and Roland Emmerich stole Amanda's idea for a moon disaster yeah 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 <laughs> I, I'm currently exactly. feuding with Roland Emmerich, but he doesn't know it. Mm-hmm. Well, well, considering he made that movie Stonewall, I think he deserves a feud. Yeah, no, we're we're beefing now. Sure, he's like, hey, white me- gays were the ans- were the reason for Stonewall. It's like, well, you know, not in any real history, but thanks. <laughs> white gays made the brick that Martha Johnson threw at Stonewall. <laughs> it, it's really, yeah, it was a real muddled history coming out of Roland Emmerich's Stonewall movie. Um, but yeah, like Ro- Roland Emmerich. There's a version of this movie that is a Roland Emmerich movie. That would have been... Well, they are outrunning a natural disaster, which could not exist if he hadn't pioneered that field. Yeah. Yeah. He really pushed that to a new threshold. Yeah. But no, this is not... This would be a better... This would be so much better if it had been Roland. It would also be three hours long, but it would be so much better. Yeah. Now, so does that... That brings us to the Towering Infernos, I believe. I'm... Guys, how many Towering Infernos are we given this motherfucker? One. One. I had so much fun hating it, but okay. I have to give it a, I, I still think a one. I mean, it's so bad. This is lower than mega fault for me. Yeah. Because you don't, you, the squandered resources, the squandered, like you this said, is a $48 million, million dollar movie. Yeah. yeah you got to give it a one. If Brittany Murphy, you guys, is, Brittany is Murphy this- gives a much better performance <laughs> in. Oh yeah. And Megafault than anyone gives in this film. Let's give yeah. Eric LaSalle blows up a fucking porta potty. Yeah. And we never get a moment near that good in this film. No. So I just, the squandered resources of something like this is so hostile that, yeah. like, I just, it, it's a go, it, you know, go fuck me. Okay, go fuck you. One towering inferno. Yeah. Absolutely. One I towering agree. inferno. Yeah. If, if we could, I can, I, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to give it half just to fucking drag it down so that the average is just a hair below one. Go We're doing it. half a towering inferno. One floor I didn't know is that on was fire an option. and it can be. Yeah. You, you oh, can recalibrate can and go lower. Yeah. We can do fractions. This is like, I'm going to stick with one. Cause again, I loved hating it. Like I sure, at okay, some sure. point Valid. turned around and was like, I can't wait to see what choice happens in this scene. Uh-huh. And where does the tone go next? Where do these characters go next? Am I going to meet a new character who wants to kill them <laughs> and hates them for no reason? Am I going to yeah. meet a new child in peril? Yes. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think I'll stick with one. It, I just This is related to nothing other than M. Night Shyamalan, but like just on the child in peril note and how like he will go for it. David Edelstein, who used to be a critic for uh, Vulture in New York Magazine when I was there, who uh, really is known on the internet for his sexist points of view on so many things, um, he hated this movie i mean he hated split he hated split so much because he felt like it was so grotesque and perverse in its endangerment of children it was the only thing i've ever seen him take a position on that was like my i've been offended i am an offensive person and i've been so offended by this movie like fucking drag (laughs) it to the mud there is a scene there is definitely a plot element in split Anya Taylor-Joy is doing her best in that, and James McAvoy is giving fun performances in, in all the manners of the performances. 
There, one of the parts of the plot of that movie is that there have been like all these young kids, like mostly young girls, get kidnapped by this person with dissociative identity disorder. And one of the personalities within this James McAvoy dissociative identity disorder like framework is a pedophile. So one of the threats you have constantly running through the movie Split is that the this this person kidnaps little girls, and one of the identities housed within this person is a sexual predator. That makes me and so it stressed makes out. That, it, it it really like cuz it one of the one of the conflicts of this character this personality's manifestation is that he knows he's a pedophile and he hates that about himself so you watch the inner turmoil this character has around being a pedophile and wanting to touch these girls but being like I can't and it makes that character an empathetic one Jesus and Christ it starts to have the girls kind of sympathize with him no oh god so i'm just saying what M. Night Shyamalan is gonna do is put children in terrible situations and in, in has an interesting relationship with how the movie's point of view handles these things while very concerned with children. Like, as we see in this, like, children matter, children exist, but they don't matter. It's very, it's an odd filmography. I'm looking up way. if he has kids. Oh, he has three kids. Oh my God, I'm He does. He has, he has children of his own. Yeah. Wow. Does M. Night Shyamalan secretly hate children? Disaster Girl says the- possibly. <clears throat> he likes the wonder, the idea of the point of view of the child infusing wonder into any scenario and oh, wants yeah. to work from that sense of wonder as often as possible, is what he told me in an interview. Okay, well. Yeah. But yeah, we're giving your movie one star today, M. Night. If that. <laughs> we If that, yeah. The average brings it down to at least a 0.75. Yeah, no, this, um, I'm, gonna, I'm Russian judging this and we are bringing it the fuck down. Yeah, you are the low score. And we don't mm. toss out the low score here. No, no, nope, I'm bringing it down. We, I've, I've, as a result, I've averaged this out to like, it's at a 0.9, but you know what? Fuck you, it's what you deserve. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, we, so we can hash out the movie that we're going to do after this, but does that mean, uh, like, yeah. shall we do our send-offs for... Well, Sophia, what do you, where can we find you? What do you have to promote? What do you want to share with the disaster divas of the world? So my, the thing that I have to promote right now is that I wrote a book that is coming out July 13th called, well, congratulations. Thank you so much. Okay. It has nothing to do with disaster (laughs) movies. There is a chapter on Brendan Fraser, uh, but that's the closest it comes. <laughs> Perfect. Um, I love Brendan Fraser with my life. He should be in this movie too. Um, maybe a Danny DeVito, Brendan Fraser moment. Um, and so I have my book coming out. I have a you newsletter. You and my girlfriend called- would get along. Just saying. Oh my god! I what, can't what wait. What was that, Jason? I was just saying she would get along with Anna. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Anna, a foremost Brendan Fraser stan. Future well, guest of the show, indefinitely. There is a. The first chapter of my book is Brendan Fraser. So um, it's amazing. Kind of Wonderful. a huge deal. Um, but anyway, so you can read my book that is coming out. P- please pre-order it. Pre-orders help a lot. And then you can also find me online um, at Twitter at, at one follower, no dad, the number one. And then follower, <laughs> no dad. And wow, what a great handle. It's, uh, it's a dumb one. I <laughs> still have it. <laughs> Well, okay, it's well, well, this is exhausting. Well, this is exhausting is the book, and then the, book. Okay. the Twitter handle is one follower, no dad. And I do have a dad, but <laughs> <laughs> did it for the bit. Well, thank you so much for taking the time and bringing this movie to our doorstep today. I this is the best possible time I could have had reliving oh. the happening. Well, yeah. thank you to Amanda who 
literally put up with me being like obsessively like, please let me be on your podcast to talk to somebody. I need to process this film. So. I still can't believe we <laughs> really agreed to it. it. Like, we really appreciate it. Oh, God. I'll be on any podcast. Like, <laughs> I don't care. I want to talk to people about the happening. I, I'm going to go on every podcast to talk about the happening. <laughs> I don't care what the podcast is about. That's a great we need goal. to process the happening as a collective. And that was yeah. my immediate thought when you said, would you want to come on? And I was like, someone has to process this with me. And I'm glad that you have created a space for me. I, Thank you so healed. much. Fun. We this haven't was... healed around the happening. So you're completely right. <laughs> we haven't. And this was a national healing, like a cultural reset of sorts, I believe. Well, and you're on, you're, you're leading the national healing tour. So thank you for making us a stop. Thank you. I can't wait to find another podcast to talk about the happening too. Just kidding. (laughs) I assume that I'm coming back next week to talk about the happening again, because I'm still processing. This is actually just a happening podcast now. Yeah. Okay, wait, I'm in. Okay, perfect. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like we can do it in a happening aspects. minute where we have to watch each episode. Oh, no. It's just oh, one minute God. of this film. Oh, my I God. produced what one ex- of those shows and I can't do it again. Oh, my God, what an excruciating process. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. This was so much fun. I had a fabulous time. Thank you guys so much for letting me be on here Thank and you. talk about the happening. I Thank you for coming. Pre-order Sophia's book. Pre-order. I hear that from the authors, that the pre-orders super help. So do it. Thank you guys so, so much. It was so much fun. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that was fantastic. That was wonderful. What a good get. What a good funny guest. I mean, every guest is a fucking delight. But Sophia Benoit was also a fucking delight. Yeah, and and like I think the the I couldn't have I couldn't have guessed which disposition I would want to pair with the happening. That her her approach, her tone, her sensibility, a perfect compliment for talking about the happening. Yeah. So Jordan, you know what we're watching next week. I feel like we're going to break a little bit of ground on this one, Amanda. What we are, are we watching? This is exciting. So we're doing our first made-for-TV miniseries. Mm-hmm. Two-parter. So I think two-parter. I think we're going to do a two-part episode. So at part one of this thrilling two-part episode will be the start of the movie Eve of Destruction. Yes. Not Eve a movie. Eve of Destruction from by Rob Lieberman of Sky, Sky, bleh, Fire in the Sky fame. And it is starring Stephen Weber, mm-hmm. Christina Cox, and Treat Williams. Oh, a Treat oh. Williams. A Treat Williams special. How can you not be excited about a movie that t- when two scientists attempt to discover unlimited energy, their experiment is sabotaged by eco-terrorists. Eco-terrorists mm. notably hate finding sustainable forms of unlimited energy. Yeah, yeah, that's whole the, that's their whole thing, eco-terrorists, is they hate sustainable energy. They prefer it when we use just whales. Yeah, and won't go to any lengths to, like, forge sustainable energy pathways. But Jordan, you know what happens when they destroy the uh, unlimited energy experiment? Oh no, what is the it? result is dark energy black hole that could destroy the planet. <laughs> oh, so man-made black hole on Earth? Man-made black hole on Earth. Last time we saw that, that was being combated by uh, Judd Nelson. And oh my God, that was Judd Nelson. It was Judd Nelson and, and the good Buffy, Chrissy Swanson. Chrissy Swanson, wow. And we got to see a black hole destroy St. Louis. So I'm looking forward right. to what we yeah. get in a three-hour miniseries. Yeah. And just yeah, just to clear up any confusion for the listeners, there is also a 1991 movie called yes. Eve yes. of Destruction. Make sure you're not watching that one. This is the two-part miniseries. And yes. we'll be doing two I, I had originally, looked up I had looked up this title a moment ago and did click on the 91 sci-fi movie so I'm glad I did that yeah so we could have this moment where you weren't like okay we're watching a sci-fi movie on Tubi for this like that could have also been fun <laughs> yeah yeah it no, truly... so if you see Gregory Hines you're in yeah. the wrong film yeah, you see Stephen Weber turn yeah. back 
Steven Weber, yes. Gregory Hines, we love him, but he's not mm. he's not tap dancing his way into our hearts in this one. Make a U-turn at Gregory Hines, if that's yeah. the case. Yeah, yeah. If, if, if you've gone too far, I'm you really excited turn for on Steven Robert Weber, though. I love Steven Weber. I, I, mm. I love I love Steven Weber because I never trust him, so I can't wait to see how I cannot trust him in this film. And see, I totally what you're saying is true, but I watched so much Wings oh, one yeah. summer. When I when it was replaying back to back in an hour long block on USA, mm-hmm. my main imprint is either like it, Jeffrey came later. My main imprint for Steven Weber is Wings, so yeah, he's no. so charming to me. But in movies, he's a dirtbag. He is deeply charming. The perfection. I also never trust his charm. No, yeah, no, not a, not after the perfection. No, I sir. Seen, it's it's for me. It's I would recommend for you. Studio sixty. Studio oh, okay. sixty is where he lost, but. Like in the same way that Bradley Whitford, like logically, I know I like totally. my, my imprint of Bradley Whitford is is uh is what's it called West is West Wing, yeah, and, and yet, yet and, and yet, yet now I'm just like no, that's Commander Lawrence. Bradley yeah, he's, Whitford is he's, he's bad got, things are afoot. There's too much there. The, even in his most uh sort of sincere roles, it's still rooted so much in that Bradley Whitford uh, sarcasm and yeah. and that kind of that in that way that he's always kind of going to deliver a barb or a cutting remark, and you're like, wait, that was a compliment. Why did it sound like an insult? He is one of those difficult to trust characters. Not Again, like Stellan Skarsgård, who's a human spoiler, or yeah. Caleb Landry Jones, who it's like, oh, you know, I know you're the villain, but it's just like a hero you can't really trust even. But I mean, again, what was it, what was he in that we watched? It wasn't the Meg. It was something else that we watched, and it was like he just shows up and oh, uh, oh. Godzilla versus Kong. Yeah, that's right. He was in Godzilla. Ver- yes, the one who records a- everything exactly. And it's just like, well, that's unsettling. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's always a little disarming about him. Mm-hmm. So yes, so we're we're getting we're getting that Steven Weber vibe, um, and the, he, you can stream this on Amazon on iTunes. Pluto TV and on Vudu. All right. So that is available for rent and for streaming. And uh, that'll be next week. We'll, we'll tackle our first miniseries. I'm so I'm excited, excited to do our first uh, episode with a cliffhanger at the end. As am I. I feel like now, just as a matter of, we, we don't have to decide this now, but do we do a what was this movie really about at I the end of we, one episode or do you save it? I think that we have to say at the halfway point where we feel that we're falling okay. on with this. We have to predict what the movie is really about. And Got then it. at the end, we'll say whether or not, we'll guess whether our predictions were right or not. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. Good so, call. okay, that we are set for next week. In the meantime, Jordan, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jorcru, J-O-R-C-R-U, uh, patreon.com slash cruciola. And, you know, find my podcasts. There's this one and there's the other ones I've told you about. So go look me up. They're very good podcasts. Thank you. And then Jason, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Jason Halftones and uh, find other fun podcasts on uh, thatmightbecool.com. Should do all those things. Yes, between me and Jason, you have so many podcasts to cover, ladies and gentlemen. Truly. There's so many. And then, of course, you can find me just on Twitter all the time. Um, I am Amanda Smith Says on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is where I will be. You can also find the podcast where disaster underscore pod on Twitter, um, where I am spending a lot of my free time just making tweets and threads that no one should ever have to look at. (laughs) (laughs) Just spending an hour, an hour and a half deciding to look through all of Roger Ebert's reviews of disaster movies we've covered. Why not? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then we're essential. Good way to spend an afternoon. And then disaster girls pod at gmail.com. And we are Disaster Girls on Letterboxd. So reach out to us there. Give us five-star reviews on all of the pod apps. 
Um, rate us, review us, please. Tell us about your friends and loved ones. And uh, tell we'll us about your for... friends and loved ones. No. I'd love to hear about your friends and loved ones. Listen, <laughs> tell us about your friends and loved ones. If you want to just write a five star review and just have it be an ode to someone you really like, completely. Yeah, that's great. Actually, yeah, use use that opportunity. Write a review yeah. and use it as the opportunity to tell us about your friends and loved ones. Yeah, and do then it like, also a, tell like, your like, friends like and loved a radio dedication show. kind yeah, of thing. Like that's this really podcast good. goes out to. That's great. Yeah, especially because we like when we get new ones, we read them. So that's perfect, actually. We will. Yeah. If you dedicate your review, then, you know, if you dedicate your review to someone, we will dedicate an episode to them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As long as it's not creepy. As long as it's it's someone who who, like you're not stalking them. That's all I have to ask. We can't can't know that. So we just have to trust them. I'm I'm just asking for the honor system here. (laughs) The honor system. Yes. Just try you guys. Just do your best efforts not to be weird about it yes don't um, be weird about it but we will dedicate an episode to the <laughs> yeah. person if you write us a review this in their honor goes out absolutely yeah jason right. will use his radio announcer voice oh hey. yeah great great for your morning drive i want this one to feel nice and smooth people, are, people <laughs> in this in this alternate world uh uh people do dedications in the morning radio not the evening yeah right. and you know it, it can be drive time jason and the crooch Hey, it's drive time, Jay. Excuse Coming me. at you with the crew, 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 crew. <laughs> <laughs> hammy and the crooch, guys. Hammy and the crooch. That's fair. Hammy. Hammy oh, and God, the crooch. would be. <laughs> All right. Amanda Smith, you're missing out on this. You're I know. Missing yeah. out. When you have the name that's basically the, the linguistic equivalent of a piece of white bread that's been left out. For too long, that's what happens. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. thank you everybody for yet another episode, and we will see you next time on the eve of destruction. Bye, guys. That might be cool.com. You never know. <laughs>